Last week we did chapter 2A of the Kingdom of God series. Today is therefore chapter 2B of the Kingdom of God series. And chapters 2A and B are called the Kingdom of God Defined. You may recall from chapter 1 that we made the point that the Kingdom of God is the central theme of all Scripture. Um, this is not something unique to me. Uh, many people know this and understand this. Uh, uh, there's a very classic book from 1953 by a guy named John Bright called the, the Kingdom of God, and that's he argues throughout the book that the Kingdom of God is uh, a theme in, in every page and every section of Scripture, and the progressive unveiling of both the Kingdom, uh, he doesn't focus on this, but I would, and the King of the Kingdom, Jesus Christ, is what the Bible is all about. So uh, with that in mind, uh, you can see in Roman numeral one, our introductory verses that include your kingdom come, your will be done. Mark 1, 14 and 15, that Jesus came to Galilee for preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. When he, That was the first thing he did after his uh, water baptism, the spirit descending on him, his temptation in the wilderness and so forth, which Mark does not cover in detail. Uh, the temptation part of it, Matthew and Luke do. And then uh, he, his, his message was, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So First uh, Peter 2, 5, and 9 uh, are quotes from Exodus 19, 5, and 6. And Exodus 19, 5, and 6 is arguably one of the three or four most important verses in the whole Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And uh, he basically says, if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, those are big if words. You shall be my treasured possession or my special people. Uh, it's sometimes translated in various English translations. My special treasure, things like that, among all the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And as we made the point last week, our first point of our definition is the kingdom of God is where God's will is willingly enacted because God's will is all he's done. Guess what? You have that nasty boss, that difficult roommate, uh, that personal problem, because God is sovereign and he loves you. And, uh, and that's why he gave you that boss. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, God's will is always being done. Even his enemies end up serving his purposes. Uh, but when we're talking about the kingdom of God, we're talking about a state that exists in heaven that God has been bringing progressively to the earth. Uh, Genesis 1, the, the Garden of Eden, was a copy of the tabernacle of God in heaven with God's presence was meant to fill it. And his kingdom priest, Adam and Eve, were to birth a, a regal and royal nation. And they were to export the dominion of God through the four rivers of, that were in the Garden of Eden that went out to the four corners of the earth. They were to to be fruitful, multiply, raise up their, their fruit to love, serve, obey, and be like God in every way, carrying, being his temple and carrying his presence and taking it to the four corners of the earth. Now, all of that got thwarted temporarily with the fall of man, but it never got aborted as God's plans. We're going to study ne next week. We're going to start looking at some major themes of the Bible. We're going to talk about a concept called the eternal decree. God de knows and declares the end from the beginning. He's outside and above all time, and he's actually written the script already. 
I, I sometimes uh, love watching various kinds of mystery shows or whatever, and and uh, you know, I'll tell my wife, well, they're gonna do this or say that, and she says, how do you how do you know that? Because it's in the script. I always say, <laughs> uh, because of course, whoever the hero is isn't gonna be killed. He's gonna solve the case and etc. So. Um, with that in mind, last week we got through point five. I'm just going to review point five for one second, and we're going to we're not going to review any more than that because we want to get through uh, point six through twelve today. God's predestined purpose has always been and remains to produce a kingdom that is a nation. Uh, there's other metaphors for it: a city, a vine. Uh, there's lots of metaphors for the people uh, that are under the reign of God in the earth. There's two kinds of people in the earth. Those who have been reborn of one regal head, our Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, to, be, to start to be recreated in the way that Adam was always meant to be because Jesus was the perfect human being. And uh, there are those who aren't on that path. And that's it. There's, there's, there's really those two groups of people in the earth. And uh, those who aren't that on that path, frankly, are living in tragedy. If you really begin to see the Lord, you will be evangelistically compassionate because um, life apart from God is, is really not worth living. So um, God is trying to produce this kingdom of priests born of and filled with and, ex uh, and extending the manifest presence of his spirit together we are to be God's temple, built according to his pattern from the tabernacle of Moses in Exodus 19 to David's instructions to Solomon. There was always this emphasis on building according to God's pattern. When, they, when the uh, Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant uh, back from the Philistines, and the Philistines had this great creative idea, put it on a cart with wheels, and the, the, because the Israelites didn't know their Bibles, uh, they didn't know that God ordained the Levites to carry it on four poles, or two poles, four, four Levites carrying it on two poles. They thought, wow, this is such an improvement over how we've always carried it. This is, uh, this is the modern megachurch model. This is, this is great. And, uh, and so they uh, took it on the cart. Unfortunately, the, the uh, cart was almost upset. Uh, Uzzah uh, presumptuously thought he'd help God out by, by steadying the cart and put his hand on the ark to hold it, and God killed him because that was too familiar, and they, that wasn't allowed. And it took David a while, but if you go on, like that's in First Chronicles 10, by the way, if you want to look it up and put it in your notes. If you go on to the First Chronicles uh, 13 15, You'll see that it says that uh, because we moved it the first time without following the King James says the due order. Some say the pattern. Some say the some translations say the prescribed way. But because we didn't follow the model of how God told us to carry His presence amongst the people of God, great destruction happened. But uh, it, but when they when they carried it the correct way, great blessing happened. And so. Um, this thing of this thing of like church models and getting back to more a more serious approach to scripture and uncovering the missing elements of biblical Christianity is not some minor point. It's actually 
a do or die issue as to whether the church will ever begin to uh, become the kind of cultural force that is salt, light, and, and, and is conquering the culture instead of being conquered by the culture. Any fair assessment of church history would have to say that at least in America, Western Europe, Canada, places like this, uh, the, the, the world has been slowly conquering the church since somewhere in the 1700s. And uh, uh, that has accelerated in the last 60 years and, and for a number of reasons, because the, uh, when the foundations are destroyed, things begin to break gradually at first, and then the rate of, of breaking accelerates. But believe me, these issues, they're do and die as to whether the church is going to accomplish its God-given mission. So um, he, wants a, he wants a temple for his spirit um, in his people who live according to a prescribed community way of life. That's why we have books like When the Church Was a Family or Light Hearts, uh, The Kingdom and the Power, because these are guys who are asking really good questions about what should the church be, how should it carry God's presence, how should it be God's kingdom, how should it manifest God's kingdom. Now, uh, in this pattern, part of the plat pattern is that we are to carry the glory of God in our worship, in our, in our outward ministries, there's to, be, there's to be the manifest power of the Holy Spirit among us. And if you really take the Gospels and the book of Acts seriously, any kind of Christianity that doesn't include uh, valid experiences of baptism in the Spirit, uh, valid experiences of things like speaking in tongues, casting out demons, prophesying, healing the sick, and, and seeing people powerfully delivered from the power of evil into the power of, of the resurrected Christ is less than a biblical Christianity. It's become a Greekified, uh, westernized, um, theoretical Christianity instead of the kingdom of God, as Roman, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.20, 4, that the kingdom of God is, in, is demonstrated in power. And so... Uh, that point uh, of review is worth reviewing. And I want to say this, that this is a general call to our, our whole church. Um, and it's simply this, uh, we live since the Enlightenment in a culture full of unbelief. When Jesus went to Nazareth in his early ministry, it's, it said that he could not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Uh, we see less of the manifest glory of God in the church because of because our culture is we have been brainwashed, discipled, and and baptized in skepticism, doubt, belief, and uh, just a a unbiblical way of thinking about who God is. And we don't ex come to church expecting God to break out and do amazing things. We don't go out sharing the gospel expecting more than to share the the few points about the gospel and expecting God to extend his hand with signs and wonders and to heal. But the problem is with us. And I do believe getting baptized in the spirit is a first step. But for those of you who have been baptized in the spirit, uh, please consider reading the two books that I have listed at the end of point five there, because that is really just a stepping stone into a life in the spirit. And both the fruit of the spirit is a very different thing than a try-harder performance-based Christianity. Without being filled and refilled and filled again with this Holy Spirit, 
when the, when the claims of God come into your life about spiritual disciplines, about being involved in community, about and so forth, they'll be too much for you. I, I, you basically will rather stay a, a complacent American Christian than to really start considering living like the churches in the New Testament lived. I get that. It's, you can't do it on, on performance or strength. You can only do it on grace. And the power of the Holy Spirit is a big tool of grace that comes on the other side of humbling yourself, uh, knowing the depth of your sin and your total inadequacy, but knowing the, also the depths of his total adequacy. Uh, if you want an interesting Bible study sometime, just type in Bible Gateway, he is able. And, and then search the whole Bible for he is able and see what you get. You'll get about eight in the New Testament that are awesome among, among several in the Psalms, etc. He is able. So um, with that in mind, uh, it's okay to admit, I, I would say when we, when we look at the biblical models, we are sub-biblical and that's okay. I encourage us all, the, the, you know, the biggest secret I ever learned, I think I even shared on this last week, was he in Hebrews 4 when it says, let's draw near to the throne of grace to find time and, and help. Whenever God is, whenever I'm reading my Bible or talking to a pastor that challenges me or when Jason challenges me in this and that area, John and so forth, I, I could look at some of the great ways that Jason loves and serves and I could say, oh man, I really fall short. Or I could just pretend that I don't fall short. <laughs> but the better way is to just go before God and say, God, I fall short. Uh, grant me grace. to draw, And I draw near to his throne to be given a deposit of grace um, in, in the, my time of need. You'll find that our flesh always wants to try to act like we got it together. We treated our wife right this morning. We did all the right things, and, and we just want to look good. And, 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 and we actually want that not just before men, but we want to kind of promote our own righteousness before God. And the secret is just give all that up. As Ray always says, cheer up, you're much worse off than you think. <laughs> you know, just, just humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm sub-biblical, and I couldn't even want to be zealous enough, studied enough, to, to embrace enough of the Garden of Gethsemane daily crosses that you're going to give. I couldn't want to make that journey. I couldn't even desire it. So save me from the beginning. You know, give me the motivation. Give me the grace. Give me the wisdom. Give me the knowledge. Give me the, the support group. Uh, so I hope we all get that. That's, that's kind of as much as I can give to point five because I really got to get going. So... Uh, point six, that's today's message. Ultimately, all of God's actions, movements, works, and dealings are designed to produce that nation that we've been speaking about, especially in points one, two, four, five, et cetera, are designed to produce that nation and to work in it and through it to subdue the entire earth. The gospel is really Jesus rose from the dead, you're under arrest. <laughs> Would you like to join his side now or later <laughs> because every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess and we're here to liberate you if you want it <laughs> um instead of oh please please accept jesus so he'll feel more accepted that uh, you know he, he really needs to feel better about himself um 
again, so he God is working to produce that nation and work in and through it to subdue the entire earth and to manifest his glory as the from you know the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas is not a post second coming of Christ verse. This involves the reproduction of children born of his spirit. Uh, that includes physical children that have to be reborn of his spirit. So uh, some ladies in our church are doing a good job with that. And, uh, um, and producing his character, fruit, and works. Right? Whenever God calls an individual, that's you or me, it is always for this larger corporate purpose. What uh, many people have called uh, Hellerman in his book, When the Church Was a Family, is one among many who use this a term that American Christianity has become radically individualistic. We talk about God being our, Jesus being our personal savior. That is the most common expression in American Christianity, and it is not in the Bible. Uh, not once. It's interesting that 54 times G Paul calls Jesus Lord in his writings. 53 times he calls him our corporate Lord together. One time he calls him my Lord individually. We pretty much have the opposite ratio. So whenever God calls an individual, it's always for this larger corporate purpose. Even leadership, if you go through the Bible, whenever God's about to do something, he calls a Moses, he calls a Gideon. Uh, he, he stirs them by his spirit. He calls them into his purpose. He prepares them. God had a great purpose to take the, the uh, gospel to the Gentiles, and he chose to start that through Peter and hand that off to Paul, and he went through great preparation to do so. Moses, God arranged in the sovereignty of God that, 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 that uh, Pharaoh, who's a symbol and type of Satan, is, who's a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44, wants to kill all the, all the babies of, of Egypt, but the one that escapes is the, ends up being raised right in his courts to be his nephew and to be a prince of Egypt. And he doesn't know who Moses is in, in God's sovereignty. But in four, 40 years, God gets, Moses gets all the wisdom of Egypt and all the knowledge of, the, of, of, of you, know, uh, the, you know, there's two kinds of religions in the world, those who worship the creator and those who worship the creation. And Moses gets brought up in the whole politics of the greatest powerful nation on the earth and their view of economics and everything else. And then God starts to reveal himself to Moses. As we often do when we're a young Christian, we, Abraham had his Ishmael. Moses uh, sees, realizes that he's starting to get this burden that the Israelites, God's people, who he knows he's now part of, are being oppressed and God wants to liberate them. He takes matters into his own hand. Uh, just like uh, Peter cutting off the servant's ear in the garden. I'll help you out, Jesus. And Moses, uh, Moses kills him. Be, uh, I do want you to be in love with God, and I want you to be zealous. But avoid, watch out for, I'm going to save Jesus in, the, in this uh, situation. Uh, you, you know, that's what Uzzah did, and he got killed for it. So Moses then uh, goes through 40 years of being discipled by uh, his father-in-law, Jethro, who was, by the way, there was always the Yahwehist in the earth, and he was a priest of Yahweh. And uh, so Moses learns the ways of God in the wilderness. And then, you know, then God has a purpose, not for Moses, 
but for Moses to to uh, serve all of God's covenant people because his purposes are always inextricably intertwined in his covenant people. In fact, you'll never really make much progress. I love that they're mowing the lawn during our church service. Thank you for your kindness. Okay, so, uh, um, you know, the uh, the purposes of God are were not for Moses. They were for the larger corporate people. When God's working in your life, you'll never come into one one hundredth of the calling of God in your life until you're walking with the right people God wants you to walk with. Because his purposes are always in the people together. All right, so let's flip over. Point seven, uh, backside of your page, the triune God, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, uh, predestined and ordained that his holy covenant people would always war against opposition. The opponents would include, one, Satan, his angels and his demons, Two, the peoples, nations, and rulers of this age who persecute his people and whom Satan is often working through, such as the Roman Empire, Pharaoh, King of Egypt, the Babylonians, and so forth. Uh, and the last enemy is ourselves. You know, that there's an old saying from a guy named Pogo said, uh, we have met the enemy and he is us. Uh, in fact, progress in the Christian life is primarily going, uh, when God first starts knocking on our door, we see ourselves as a pretty good person that has made a few mistakes. <laughs> and uh, we see ourselves as slightly flawed, but 80% of people actually surveyed actually believe that they live morally superior than everyone else. Well, that's part of your sin nature. You can see the speck in everyone else's eye but you don't realize you got a, a logging truck in your eye. <laughs> uh, maybe Ray can share about his days as in the logging camp later. You don't just have a log in your eye. You've got a whole logging truck in your eye, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and uh, uh, But the work of God's grace is to, is to begin to see how big that logging truck is to be start to set free, and you'll know that you've arrived there when you see the speck in your brother's eye and you're all about grace about it. When you, If you're harsh or critical or whatever, you have not journeyed very far in the Lord. Uh, and you haven't seen the depth of, of the third enemy, ourselves. And only Jesus Christ can deliver you from yourself. You can't try harder. You can't turn over new leaves. Tried all that in high school. Didn't work. Uh, you know, didn't, and uh, uh, you, you can only be rescued. So uh, those enemies, God's predestined purpose and in in what he's ordained in his, that his holy covenant people would always war against opposition. If you're going to walk forward in the Lord, you're going to have friends that, that, don't, that don't like that decision. You're going to lose a lot of friends if you're going to walk forward in the Lord. Jesus said, don't think I bring peace and came to bring peace to this earth, but a sword from now on, a man's enemies will be the, the enemies of his own household. You, it's, it's interesting that but part of what it means to go forward in the Lord is even God's Christian people will, will oppose what you're doing 
it'll always be the Lord, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the people you're supposed to be with that see what you're doing. But there's even going to be Christians that say, what are you doing? <laughs> That's too radical. That's too nuts. Whatever. It's it just it's just going to be the case that that uh, they're they're going to not see what you're doing. Sorry, I love the coffee. Um, he uh, and all through the Bible, from you know Cain killing Abel, there has always been those who would kill the 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 the, the people of God, and. Uh, and those who know the people of God. And when Cain killed Abel, God was gracious. Uh, Abel had been a disciple of Adam and Eve. Ad, Adam and Eve, after they sinned, they were repentant. How we know this is because God, God put skins on them. And the, in the, they tried to, when they were non-repentant, they tried to cover their sin with, uh, with fig leaves. And that's always, uh, people who are not ready to come to Christ are always trying to look better in of their own efforts. That's what self-psychology, Rollo May and Carl Rogers and all those people are about. And that's what's taught in our universities, self-help books and things like this. And uh, they were trying to atone for themselves and hide their own shame and their own nakedness. But God revealed their sin to them. And, and, uh, and gave them a, a skin to cover their nakedness, which means there was shedding of blood. And there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. It was a foreshadowing of the gospel. So they, they discipled their sons in this. Uh, any person who's walked very long with children and so forth knows that some of your kids will totally buy into God and some will not. And uh, Cain uh, did not buy in, but Abel totally bought in. Abel came with the blood of animals, speaking of there's no forgiveness without the shedding of blood, and he came by faith, meaning that not some abstract thing, meaning he was obeying God's directions and words as taught to him by Adam and Eve. Uh, Cain came with a better idea. Cain came with the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of his own self-works and his own self-promotion. He didn't come in faith. But God raised up Seth, um, uh, who uh, basically started the uh, the godly line in the earth? Abraham, Jethro, all these people were descended from that line line of God. And there's always going to be the people who love God and the people who hate God, and that's just part of the whole covenant dr drama of the kingdom of God that God is uh, is is rolling out. Eighthly, the Bible is a book of the kingdom of God. It contains the history of the kingdom of God in the earth. By the way. All history selects something as most important. The Bible selects the worth, work of God in, in redeem, calling, redeeming, and gathering, and forming a covenant people. And the Bible traces the lineage of Christ and the covenant people of God. It doesn't give us everything in history. It gives us what's central to history, which is the Bible is a book of the kingdom. It contains the history of the kingdom of God in the earth, past, present, and future. It contains the laws and covenants of the kingdom. It contains a history of the covenant kingdom people. It contains a progressive unveiling of the person of the king, our Lord Jesus Christ. It increasingly brings light to light his ways, heart, character, and kingdom purposes through his ecclesia. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my ecclesia, which is usually translated church, but that's in contradistinction to what the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, uh, Moses 
uh, had an ecclesia. And Jesus is saying, the whole book of Matthew is all about how I'm done with Moses' ecclesia, and I'm raising up my ecclesia in the earth. And uh, that's the whole point. He's, uh, it's an ultimate covenant lawsuit. Jesus stands on the shoulders of all the prophets and basically uh, proclaims all of their messages together in, his, in this radical confrontation with Israel that's, that says, I will give it to a nation producing the fruit of it. And uh, earlier he says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. But when after they've completely rejected him and he's completely rejected them, he says, your house doesn't even doesn't even claim ownership of the temple anymore. He says, your house is left to you desolate. So um, that's, you know, um, it's, it's inextricably intertwined to love the Bible and to love history. You really can't love the Bible without loving history. And um, because it's a book of history, but it's not just any kind of history but it's the history of God's covenant purposes uh, through the earth. And Jesus said, I will build my church, church history and what we, and historical theology. We're going to have our systematic theology class today. Uh, historical theology is every bit as important as systematic theology because we have to see how God has shed the light on his word all through his, through his people by his spirit. All right, number nine, no person can have any ultimate fulfillment, purpose, or joy without the illumination and, and, uh, of knowing and experiencing the king. In other words, if you go out and study those who don't know the Lord, the world is full of people who are breathing in the physical, but they're dead spiritually. They're out of fellowship with God, and they are trying to find a way to cope with life and make their life work on a certain level. But apart from knowing God, it will never work on the level to which they were created. They'll never be at harmony with themselves, with God, with the purpose for why they're on this earth until they come to know their king as, as the liberator, as the redeemer, as the savior. So let me read that again. No person can have any, underline any, ultimate fulfillment any ultimate purpose or any ultimate joy without the lights coming on, illumination means the lights coming on, of knowing not just conceptually but experientially by the power of his spirit, the king. That is the living word of God. The Bible is the written word of God. Jesus is the living word of God. As you come to be saved by your, by your living king, as he comes to dwell inside you, as he comes to begin to conform you to his image, you can begin to see uh, the purpose for why you're here, and you can begin to live in harmony with how you were created. Outside of Christ, we are all at enmity with ourselves and with God and with one another. You know, if you look at human history and you add up all the, since uh, we really know most of what we know about human history, forget all that Neolithic stuff, it's all very speculative, but we know a lot of things about starting around 3500 to 2500 BC when eight uh, very advanced civilizations popped up on various places of the earth all at once, shortly after Babylon, after the Tower of Babel. And when, uh, when this happens, um, I kind of lost my train of thought. Uh, when this happens, uh, all these 
these cultures grow up, uh, but but there's no purpose in them. Um, so, uh, again, no one can have any ultimate fulfillment, any ultimate purpose without experiencing and knowing the king, the living word of God, uh, who is made manifest, that is, he, he, uh, his presence is made known through the written word of God and by aligning one's life, character, and purpose with King Jesus' life, character, kingdom, and purpose. I, I got off track. So what I'm trying to say about the cultures of this world, the cultures of this world are people trying to find a way to cope uh, economically, food, you know, scare, overcome scarcity, uh, overcome man's inhumanity to man uh, by having some kind of law and government and civilization. They're, they're trying to make it work, but God has destined that it will never work apart from submission to his kingdom and his king. And so um, really lost people are, are trying to get it together. There's a lot of people actually think the reason zombie movies are becoming so so popular in our culture is because zombie movies are about people who are walking around, but they're really dead. And that really is life outside of Christ. You will never know peace, joy, fulfillment, a purpose. You know, what kind of purpose is to get richer or more popular or more famous? Really? Do you want to die there? Do you want to live for that? Uh, to have more enjoyment of your sins. You want? There's no purpose in any of that. There's only purpose in Jesus Christ. Uh, all the reasons for leave, living are futile and frustrating. They miss the mark of God's creative purposes in, our, in through his people and produce destruction and death. Now, many of us have been brought up in, 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 uh, in evangelical cultures and other kinds of Christian cultures that focus on sin as being things like drunkenness, which is a sin, or gluttony, which is a sin, or procrastination, or being addicted to sleeping so much that you can't get yourself to church in the, in the morning, or whatever. But the problem is these things are the leaves of the tree or the fruit of the tree, the root of the tree is the is self-centered desire to be God, to, to exalt yourself that you know and determine what's right and wrong, and so forth, okay? Now, sin is not uh, what we think of in terms of sins. In the Bible, there's very two, two very, look at 1 John 1, 7 through 10, you'll see this. Sins are one issue. But sin is the real issue. And John the Baptist understood that when he said the axe is laid at the root. And the root is self-government. The root is, is the desire to be God yourself. The root is, is thinking that you know everything and right and wrong. It's, it's man's pride and so forth. The word sin in the Bible is actually from the Greek Olympic Games, and it's an archery term, and it means to miss the target. So what the Bible is saying is this. Until you come to, to be convicted of your sins, to be drawn into the kingdom by the Holy Spirit, until you've re repented of your sins and received your king and said, make me like you, take over my life, uh, come in. I'm, I'm not going to do the American thing and just tell you to sit in the back seat and, and rescue me whenever I make a mess of things, but I'm going to actually let you drive and I'm going to get in the back seat. And I'm even going to study your way so I can keep my opinions uh, uh, to a minimum. When you do that, 
you begin to find the purpose for what you were put here on this planet in the first place. You, be, you were made in the image of God, and as you, as you get restored through the resurrection of Christ into the image of God, that's when all kinds of problems start to, you get to be set free from all kinds of anxieties, worries, uh, addictions, fears, anger management issues, can't sleep, uh, can't, have any, can't find any peace, have, have no coherent purpose. God is actually knocking at your door by when before you come to Christ by letting you know it's not working. I and I love you enough to to start opening your eyes just a little bit because if he showed you how much it's really not working you would die. But he shows you enough of that it's not working that you begin to see your need for him. And that's how he draws you into his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. If things have gone really wrong in your life and they've unraveled Thank God, <laughs> because you wouldn't have any chance of coming to Christ until God makes you poor in spirit. Sometimes the best thing that can happen to you is uh, nothing's working. You have no peace. You can't quit this addiction or that addiction. You can't sleep. You, you're frustrated. You got anger management issues, whatever. And, uh, and, you, and you begin to see that you being in control and you being God isn't working that great. Like Dr. Phil says, I don't like I don't like any of this. But he actually has a saying that's not bad. Even the even the, well, never mind. Even unbelievers have some uh, some wisdom once in a while. Even John Lennon said one thing that was pretty wise. Um, but you know that whole thing of Dr. Phil goes, "How's that working for you?" And really, that's the gospel. Like, how is being your own Lord and your own King and having your own uh, definite opinions about right. Like we have raised a whole nation of people. We take so many polls that very uneducated people who have actually not thought much about life have very, very strong opinions about everything. It's so ironic. You know, you you meet all kind of people that uh, haven't read more than a, a, they haven't read important books. They haven't they haven't thought through theology, religion, philosophy, uh, what the nature of humanity. They haven't thought about any of these kind of things, but they really know a lot of stuff very, very pridefully and dogmatically. It's crazy. It's called America. It's what the world system is. I got to move on because I got to, I'm supposed to finish this. Number 10, I got three minutes. I better just read the last three. The whole Bible contains, I might have to have part C. The whole Bible contains a progressive revelation of the mystery of the kingdom of God as explained clearly by Jesus, Peter, and Paul. The mysteries of Christ and his kingdom are presented clearly, plainly, and pervasively throughout every chapter of scripture, yet in such a way that no one fully grasped their meaning or anticipated their fulfillment because God has ordained that a veil lies over the minds of the seekers until it is lifted by the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ, who was obviously always the point. When your eyes begin to be open, you begin to see Jesus on every page of the Bible. I meet, I meet Christians all the time who say, well, I've read parts of the New Testament, but I, I can't get anything out of the Old Testament. You need to, to uh, listen to John's uh, elementary Christology uh, uh, series on finding Christ in the Old Testament. You, you, you need to see that Jesus is the key to the whole Old Testament. That's what he said in Luke 24, uh, 27 and Luke 24, 44 that you can write down and look up because I'm out of time. Um, 
again, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom uh, uh, of the kingdom is Christ and Christ in us, manifesting and lifting the whole earth with His glory. Thus we lay.